G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. God gives us everything. We want to give God leftovers. All that we are and all that we have comes from God. Today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie wonders if we're as generous with Him. He gave you your life. He gave you your job. He gave you your health. It's all from God. God says, I'd like you to give back a percentage to me. I do your pain, right? Every believer should give of their finances to the Lord. This is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Again, you hear all the angels are singing. This is the day, the day when life begins. How much of your life do you give to God? you give Him your best, or just the scraps, the afterthoughts? Do you long to be in His presence, or rush through the Bible reading between TV shows? Are you a Sunday Christian only? God isn't content with the leftovers of our lives. He wants to be top priority. And today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie points out that this principle even extends to our financial management. The story is told of when the Constitution of the United States had been signed and America officially became a nation. A crowd of people were standing outside of the meeting room uh, where our founding fathers were waiting to find out what happened. A name by Mrs. Powell saw Benjamin Franklin and said, so Mr. Franklin, what type of government have you and your delegates given us? And Franklin famously responded, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. The idea was, okay, we've laid the foundation. Now it's up to you to see what you do with it. Well, the foundation was laid in Jerusalem. The walls were rebuilt. The temple was there, but they were not keeping it. They were not doing well at all. They started well, but they were not finishing well. Listen, it's great to have a great start and a great finish. But you can even have a mediocre start or even a bad start and have a great finish. But here's what's not good. The greatest of starts and a horrible finish. If you're running in a race and you don't finish the race, it doesn't matter if you've held the first place position for nine out of 10 laps. If you don't finish the race, you don't win the prize. And the same is true of the Christian life. We want to finish strong. And you know what? You decide right now how you're going to do later in life. You don't decide later. The evening of your life is decided by the morning of your life. The end from the beginning. So here you are. You've been married two years and you say, I want to have a strong marriage 42 years later. Okay, great. You decide that right now. And every day you do everything you can to strengthen that marriage. Don't wait until you're older. (laughs) Because when you get older, the problem is you get set in your ways, right? You like routine. You like predictability. 
You like to do things the way you've always done them. No, decide now. Establish good habit patterns now. You're the one who will decide how it's all going to end up. And the same is true of the Christian life. You know, we start out with a bang, but if we put it into cruise control, Houston, we have a problem. The key is maintenance. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that works in you both to will and do of His good pleasure. That does not say work for your own salvation, because you can't. No, you work it out. You see, it's given to you as a gift of God. You can work it out. As the apostles John and Paul said, we can work it out. <laughs> John Lennon, Paul McCartney, the Beatles, forget it. Obscure cultural reference. Okay, you go, what? What? Is it? what? What verse is that? It's not a verse, it's a song, forget it. Okay, when you have to explain a cultural reference, it didn't work. But we can work it out. So when Paul says work out your own salvation, it means discover what God has given you. He uses a word that speaks of being in a mine and pulling the gold out. So it's a lifelong discovery of growing and learning and being transformed. You, you never reach a plateau where, well, I'm good. I don't need to go to church anymore. I, I don't need to read the Bible anymore. I'm, I've arrived. No, you haven't. I think the one way you know you're growing spiritually is when you realize you need to continue growing spiritually. That's something to keep in mind. And one of the ways you know you're not doing well spiritually is when you think you don't need to keep growing spiritually. So let's backtrack a little bit. Then we'll kind of get to the conclusion. But let's pick up chronologically where we left off last time. You remember uh, Nehemiah returns. They rebuild the walls. Ezra is brought out of mothballs. He led the first wave of Jews returning to Babylon. He helped to rebuild the temple. He had been largely inactive. They bring him out again. He reads scripture to the people for three hours. Then they confess their sins to God for three hours. And there's this great revival that breaks out. And now the people make a series of very significant commitments to the Lord. And that's where we pick up. We're in Nehemiah 10. Point number one, if you're taking notes, they surrendered to the Word of God. They surrendered to the Word of God. Nehemiah 10, 28. Then the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the pagan people of the land in order to obey the law of God together with their wives, sons, daughters, and all who were old enough to understand. They found themselves with an oath and they swore a curse on themselves if they failed to obey the law of God as issued by his servant Moses. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. We'll stop there. So this is serious. Now they're citing on the dotted line. Now often we'll say we believe the Bible. We'll say we love the Bible. And we will quote the Bible, but will we surrender to what the Bible says on every single topic? I used to have a little plaque uh, years ago that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Does that sum up the way you feel? We'll come back to that point in a moment. 
Point number two, they separated themselves from ungodly influences. Look at verse 28. Then the rest of the people, the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the pagan people of the land in order to obey the law of the Lord. We promise to not let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land and not let our sons marry their daughters. Note the cause and effect. They separated in order to obey. Look at it again. They had separated themselves from the pagan people in order to obey the law of the Lord. Listen to this. If you want to live a godly life, you will need to separate yourself from some things and some people and in exchange surround yourself with other things and other people. Someone sums it up perfectly. It says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. Notice the words that are used. First this guy's walking, then he's standing, then he's sitting. First he's walking in the counsel of the ungodly, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of the scornful. It's a progression. So don't do that. If you want to be a blessed man, a blessed woman, or Change the word blessed with happy because it's an interchangeable word. Happy is a man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in it does he meditate day and night. So you had to separate from one thing and join yourself to another. The problem with the Israelites is they had a constant problem with this. They kept getting pulled down by ungodly people. They would intermarry with pagan people and end up doing pagan things, you see. And that's usually what happens when believers marry non-believers. See, the problem is generally the believer does not pull the non-believer up, but rather the non-believer pulls the believer down. Now, having said that, when, while I'm, when I'm saying don't marry a non-believer, I'm not saying don't have contact with non-believers. Uh, because how are we going to reach people with the gospel if we don't have contact with them? Separation does not mean isolation. You might be surprised to know that when I have friendships with non-believers and I have friends that don't know the Lord and we talk and I stand for what I stand for and they know what I believe. But I don't expect non-believers to behave as believers. I'm not going to harp on those things that you happen to be doing as much as I'm going to try to point you to Christ because once you come to Christ, all those other things will get sorted out. So that's my main objective with a non-believer. Bring them to Christ. Well, if you've just joined us today, you're listening to A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie and he's bringing us even more practical insight from the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament in the Bible. It's all about standing for our faith. It's a message called, This is Not a Drill. Let's continue. Okay, now point number three. They were invested in God's kingdom. They were invested in God's kingdom. They're making this vow. Look at verse 32. In addition, they say, We promise to obey the command to pay the annual temple tax of one-eighth of an ounce of silver for the care of the temple of our God. Verse 35, we promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple year after year, whether it be from a crop, the soil, or from our fruit trees. Uh, this was primarily an agricultural culture, livestock culture. 
So they would bring their offerings. It would often be uh, something from the field or something from the flock, etc. Uh, today we would not do that. We would bring finances. But the point in principle is still the same. But you know a lot of times we don't want to give God our best. Notice they brought the first fruits, the best. We want to give God leftovers. Uh, the other day I was with my son Jonathan and his son Christopher, my grandson, and Jonathan gave Christopher a little bag of chips. So he's eating these chips, enjoying them. And Jonathan says, hey buddy, can I have a chip? Christopher's like, no. He says, son, I, I, could I have a chip? Could dad have a chip? He, Christopher's face is crunching up like he's in pain. No, son, give me a chip. I need a chip. I gave you those chips, now give me a chip back. He's like, <sighs> he's like in agony. He reaches in and pulls out the most pathetic little chip you've ever, it's just microscopic. And he's, it's even hard for him to give it over. He's like turning away like, here, take it. Oh, and his dad says, no, I want a big chip. Oh. It's just like, oh. Give me a big chip, son. Give me a good chip. Yeah, ah, he finally gives. I thought, this is so much like us and God. God gives us everything. God gave you the bag of chips, man. He gave you your life. He gave you your job. He gave you your health. It's all from God. God says, I'd like you to give back a percentage to me. I do your pain, right? That's what this is all about. They were going to bring their very best to the Lord. God established certain laws for the nation of Israel regarding tithing. The people were to bring one-tenth of their material resources to the temple and bring the best, not the worst, to God. Now some would say, well, tithing is not in the New Testament. Therefore, I will give nothing to God ever. Brilliant deduction. I'm being sarcastic, by the way. Listen to this. 10% is entry level. <laughs> That's not where you stop. That's where you start. Listen to this. In the New Testament, the standards of the Old Testament are always raised, never lowered. Let me say that again. In the New Testament, the standards are never lowered. They're always raised. For instance, Jesus said, you've heard that it has been said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you look at someone with hatred in your heart, it's like you murdered them. You have heard, speaking of the Old Testament, that it has been said, Ten Commandments, you should not commit adultery, but I say unto you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, it's the same as committing adultery. What did he do? Did he lower the bar? No, he actually raises the bar. So it comes down to this. Listen, every believer should give of their finances to the Lord. Now we say, I don't like this stuff. Preachers talking about money. Wait a second. What is your discomfort really over? Remember earlier point? We surrender to the Word of God. Oh, we love to hear what the Bible says about prayer, about hope, about the return of Christ, about comfort. Yeah, amen, amen. And then there's giving. And we're like Christopher with the little chip. We should welcome everything the Bible says about everything and just do it. So what does the Bible say? Paul deals with it extensively in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16. Here's what we learn, and you can write these notes down and look these things up later. Every believer should give systematically. Every believer should give systematically. Paul told the believers in Corinth to set aside a sum of money 
on the first day of every week. For them that would be Sunday. Christians are to give systematically, not sporadically, or when it occurs to them. I think that's why electronic giving is so fantastic. That's how we give in our home. And by the way, that's, that's just, the, we tithe of course, but then we give above that. And I don't say that to boast. It's just, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do as a Christian and I'm happy to do it. But you know, you can do it electronically and it happens automatically. But however you do it, you should give systematically. Number two, we are to give proportionately. We are to give proportionately. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, everyone should give in keeping with their income. Uh, so look, some can give more. Some can give less. But everyone should give something. Number three, we are to give joyfully. Joyfully. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. We'll say, well, I can't give cheerfully. Therefore, I'll never give again. Hmm. <laughs> That'd be like saying, I, I can't pray cheerfully so I'll never pray again. I can't read the Bible happily because I get bored, so I'll never read the Bible again. No, change your heart, man. Get in sync with God. What did Jesus say? It is more blessed or happy to give than to receive. Do you understand what he's saying? You think keeping your stuff makes you happy. Jesus says giving your stuff makes you happy. If you want to be happy, do what he says and you watch the blessing that will come your way. One last point. If you follow God's principles about giving, you can expect Him to meet your needs. If you follow God's principles on giving, you can expect Him to meet your needs. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God will give generously and provide all your need and you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. You see, so God does not promise to supply your greeds, but He does promise to meet your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Listen, this is like a double test. God tests us and we can test God in this rare moment. It's a test of us. Oh, I love Jesus. Oh, it's so wonderful. Okay, are you following these principles? It's a test of really your commitment because where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also. But then we can test God. You say, what are you talking about? The Bible says don't test God. Hold on, one time God says test me. Do you know where it is? Malachi. God says, put me to the test on this one. Bring your tithes and your offerings into the storehouse. Listen, God says, and watch this. I will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing so great you will not have room enough to receive it. Put me to the test on this one. So it's a double test. Put God to the test. Give faithfully to Him and see what He does. Pastor Greg Laurie with insights on the only time in Scripture when God invites us to test Him. It was aptly entitled, This Is Not A Drill. And next time, Pastor Greg returns with one final installment to wrap up his series in the book of Nehemiah. Some of the most practical counsel yet is coming on Monday. I hope you can join us for a new beginning. In the meantime, have a fantastic weekend.
Now, for a copy of Pastor Greg's full message from today, get in touch with Vision Christian Store. It was called, This Is Not A Drill. Just go to visionstore.org.au or call 1-800-00-50-11. Station sponsor. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.